All right, Buzz Buzz, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode of Blake's Buzz. This week, I've got two powerhouse Kickstarter creatives in the house. We've got Jordan Thomas and Clark Bent. If you guys know these names, you may ring a bell because they did Frank at Home on the Farm, which is one of the most unique, disturbing, and just wildly chaotic comics I've read in a long time. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to see what makes these uh, ideas pop up in these guys' head. And I'm just really excited to pick their brains. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? No, yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having oh, no, me. I, I, was, I was really excited, um, especially with, like, with the new um, – I'm, I'm a huge sucker for hardcovers, as you can see behind me. Um, so like once your guys' Kickstarter went live, I was like I, – I slid into Justin's DMs, and I was like, I was like, hey, I got this podcast. <laughs> so I was, I, I was really stoked that you guys were into coming on the show just because – I mean, like I said in that intro, guys, your comic is just it's, – it's really hard to explain to people, which I imagine – was like was that difficult to pitch uh well i guess it started as a kickstarter but i mean you guys did it did re-release through scout too uh well i guess the only person that i pitched it to was clark (laughs) so clark's probably the best person to answer what he thought when i pitched it to him well i got it right away really Um, i mean reading the script because all i had was the script and stuff and um it was it was like a treatment kind of thing wasn't like an actual uh fully script remember so um the kind of horror that that comic was like reading as is exactly the kind of horror that, that i like you know that kind of um it's like when the lighthouse came out the movie and it's like that's the same kind of vibe uh that i hadn't seen in comics before and i was like getting super excited to you know get into that yeah i haven't it's very yeah, rare because- the, that how you guys deal with like the psychological trauma as the narrative progresses like that was super impressive yeah, and how you can explore that in visual comics uh, storytelling is like, yeah, that that sounds it sounded like a lot of fun when I read that. So, do, how did? Oh, yeah, sorry, exactly. Sorry, like Scout, um, Scout, uh, Scout approached us through Kickstarter. Like once it was all done, it was like pretty much the fourth issue. The digital files went out, and I, I didn't wasn't aware of this at the time. But one of the people who'd backed to get all four issues was um, James Hike at scout and i think within like a day he was like messaging me saying that scout would be interested in it so we didn't really have to do like the traditional pitch process like i I get some emails and some dms and stuff on twitter from people being like oh if you could send me like what you sent to scout to pitch it like i'd like to pitch them and stuff um it'd be really helpful and now yeah i always kind of have to say well the pitch was that all four issues were completed (laughs) (laughs) it was there that's gotta feel good man when when they come to you like they're like hey Hey, we we want to give Frank another home. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially it's like I kind of had like an idea in mind. It's okay, we'll do these four and then maybe I do like a collected version and then take it round to different publishers and see if anyone was interested. And I just got this email with it, yeah, like a day after sending out the files and had to suddenly be like, oh, okay, this is a kind of change of what we're doing. But I think yeah, it's been really good with Scout and they've been really uh, nice people to work with. I love them. I And you guys are my fourth fourth or fifth guys that have worked with scout like um i just i i really love their books i've i've been on their you know press reviewer list for uh, many months even before i started my blog when i was working with other podcasts that's actually how i found out about frank was uh you know i got a review email and when i first started getting them I felt like I had to review everything because, and I still have this sort of fear that like, if, if I don't review enough of the books they send me, they're going to like take me off the list, you know? And so like, I was like mm. 
trying like scrambling to just review all these like books that came in and and yeah when i i got the pdf of you guys and i downloaded it and i had literally no idea like what i was getting into and and just like tripped and stumbled down that rabbit hole man and and it was an experience like it was so cool and and so yeah like i've since uh since day one i've really really been into frank uh it it's uh rereading it recently um i i even I, not only did i read the whole series guys i reread it and watched and watched <laughs> the motion comic <laughs> to prep for the interview oh, yeah? Um, oh, nice. but yeah like it was um it was a really uh i really dug rereading it like just bit like sitting down for a few hours and just taking in all four issues like that was a totally <laughs> other you know like not waiting you know the month between releases just to like have that story um you know fall into place like one after the other so that it would that kind of like changed how I thought about the story too. But, you know, usually I don't like, um, that's the problem with singles is that month wait, you know? Uh, but with Frank, it, it almost like added to the tension. Cause it's just like, you're, you know, you, there's this mystery, what happened to his family, what's happening to him. And that like month break is like, he stuck with me like it wasn't like other comics where you know sometimes i'll have to refresh myself like oh what happened last month i don't really remember like no frank man i was like waiting for it to just get those little bits of the story so that was um that was cool how like what prompted this idea like going back to this time period this this character this uh, a, a totally new way of expressing like PTSD and, and, and mental instability, like in a narrative, like it is just like totally fresh in so many ways. Like how'd that happen? Um, so it's, it's kind of random actually. I can remember specifically how I got the idea. Uh, it was back when I was at university. So I was, I think I was like 20. So that's like 13 years ago now. So the story's been with me for a long time, but I was watching, uh, do you know the Richard Linklater before films, like before Sunrise, before mm -hmm. Sunset? Yeah, they're these kind of like, they're, they're very not Frank at home <laughs> on the farm at all. They're like kind of almost like real time romantic films of the first one is this American guy and this French girl, they meet on a train and they kind of spend the day together and they have like a romantic day. But near the beginning of that film, they bump into a guy, I think they're in Belgium and they, they meet this guy on a bridge and he's trying to get them to go to a play that his like theater company are putting on later that night. And he's like, oh, you know, in the play, I pay a cow, but not like a normal cow. I sit at the table and I have a newspaper and I smoke a cigar. Um, or I think maybe I did the cigar. I think he's like, I drink coffee. <laughs> uh, and for some reason, this just clicked like a whole idea into my head of these like part human, part animal kind of creatures. And I literally on two sides of A4 hand wrote what is basically the whole story. I don't know why it went to my head to be like World War One to have that, the story of the missing family and things. But yeah, I literally, it was, I used to stay out really late at university. So it's probably like 3 a.m. And I just completely, the, the pretty much the whole structure as it is now, like obviously there's additional moments and slight changes and stuff. But literally Frank comes home from World War One to his farm, family are missing things get progressively kind of stranger. No one knows where they've gone. They seem like they almost don't exist. And then weird stuff starts to happen with the animals. And as it progresses to the end, like right to those kind of the ending of the comic is all what I wrote that first wow. night. And then, so looking back, like, 
you know, like there's there's so much artistic talent in the comic medium right now, and I I, I can't imagine like anyone else drawing this other than Clark. Like his art is such a perfect fit. Like what? Like did did you guys know each other, or did you just like see some of his stuff and 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 hit him up? Like how do how did you decide to pick your artist? Uh, so Clark had all, had worked on a graphic novel before with um, some friends of mine. Um, and I think it was it was actually when I saw there's like a black and white edition of the comic where you can really see just kind of how beautiful Clark's like pencil and ink work is. And I'd actually been trying to find an artist for this other thing that I'd written, which was kind of like a Stranger Things type comic. Before Stranger Things came out, I think we were both kind of ripping off the same, you know, Stephen King, Goonies, <laughs> stuff like that. But I couldn't find an artist for this comic. So I thought about what other kind of stories I had, what, what could I try and kind of do instead. And I thought of Frank and yeah, pretty much as soon as I decided I wanted to to go ahead with Frank, Clark was like the first person I thought of. And, you know, I'm definitely the same as you as I can't, uh, I can't really imagine anyone else having drawn it. So Clark, does it, when, because a lot of this imagery is very haunting, um, except like the one really cute pig you drew, like an issue Issue, issue one or two. There's this. I there's. Well, I'm looking yes, up at him when he's so, on the roof. It's yeah. so fucking adorable. And he's. He like, looks kind of lost. And it's just like I just want to like pet you and take you home and like be your friend. And that's like. And then like even even like when the girl's playing with the dog, like the it's this like kind of nice moment turns into something terrifying. But this one this one lone pig like kind of had this like uplifting image of hope. But other than that like a lot of your imagery is very dark and disturbing and spiraling into madness and, and like you know, when you're when you're like hunched over that page and you're drawing it like do you ever have to take like a step back does it ever kind of mess with your head or, or are you just like you're just in the zone and and you and you knock it out a uh, bit of both really i guess um i was living in the countryside at the time when i was drawing it uh, at my parents house and i was i was there for like uh, I, I love living in like cities and towns. So being in the countryside again was like very kind of, um, you know, being in the middle of nowhere really helped drawing all like the, the fields and, and the farm itself being isolated in the middle of nowhere, getting that like really scary aspect of the countryside. So I guess I was kind of like living in it in that way. But it comes to actually drawing the characters and stuff. Like I love drawing horror with this kind of, not everything is going to be horror in a horror comic. The horror kind of comes naturally from the story and from what's going on, things slowly changing. That's the way I like to do it anyway, especially when it's like that kind of psychological horror. So drawing the cutesy animals and stuff is like, <laughs> I love doing that kind of thing as well anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of get down to it. Um, just drawing sketches and stuff and, and perfecting the images in the way that I want to, I want to have that kind of, um, what's his name? Who's the guy who, uh, Bernie Wrightson. No, Bernie Wrightson, yeah. the, the artist. The, his, his kind of horror, very kind of cross-hatchy, very beautiful, intricate, detailed kind of work. That was kind of what I was chatting with Murder Most Mundane before, which is also set in the countryside. So it was kind of like familiar territory anyway. And then with the color as well, it was um, World War One kind of colors in that kind of era is very muddy and, and, and browns and greens and all these kind of like weird nature colors, but then the, with this weird kind of new industrialization over the top of it. I was looking at like some old paintings, like the futurism paintings that were coming out at that time. And you contrast that to you know the time, like the, the, the Victorian time before it and how paintings look then of portrayals of people and stuff and it's this completely different uh, uh, vibe going on and I wanted to capture that into the comic as well and just get into that horror aspect and use the colour to bring out all that kind of stuff I think uh, so, you did a good job like because it the, the it, it the age and the and the time like the timeliness of it like it really 
it, it really comes through. Like it, it, it feels very, it feels very real. It's actually, it's like real and surreal, like simultaneously because of, which is another, that's, that's, a, that's another part of like the, the great, like uh, how, how you manipulate us as readers with like the sanity and, and the, the unreliable narrator that everybody always talks about. Like, but it's, you know, usually people use like an unreliable narrator as like a, as a commentary on something. I haven't really seen an unreliable narrator used in such a successful way in, in like the horror and, and terror of it all and how it, he like drags you into his story and, and you don't know what to believe. You don't know what to see or like even like, I feel like both of you just lie to us the whole time while reading it. And I, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a great way, cause you never know what's coming next. Yeah. yeah. Everyone ends up feeling like the, like that little pig that you mentioned <laughs> looking up at Frank with a slight kind of confusion and distrust. I just, re I remember when it, when the comic started coming out from scout. And so like when, when it found a bigger audience and, and people start, you know, cause so many people do like the scout subscription boxes now um, that's pretty popular. And so a lot of people got uh, Frank number one, and and read it and like i just remember seeing twitter go off like what is this i need more like what is happening and and that was one of the best things about your guys's comic too was like everybody like like react like the reactions from like my friends and followers on twitter and like every issue of like all of us kind of together like throwing ideas and and theories out and like you know what's real and what isn't and just i mean it's you guys like not only did you like produce like a really good story but you you like po cause like a sense of like togetherness and positive discourse on twitter which is rare <laughs> these days you know oh no that's really cool i mean one of the the coolest things that i heard when the scout issues started coming out was someone talking about how they them and their friends in the comic shop they like stand around and throw around ideas <laughs> as to what they think is going to happen and as someone who uh spent a lot of time in comic shops kind of growing up and um throughout my teenage years and stuff the idea that yeah having the kind of all the the kind of regulars in the comic shop trying to kind of figure out where the story's going was really really cool yeah it's um i again like i i keep going back to how i've never like i've never experienced anything like it and then now you guys are giving us even more ways to experience it uh because the you, the kickstarter's out for the, the oversized hardcover um so the art's gonna be it, it is oversized right is it okay so the yeah. art yeah it should be about eight okay so yeah we're gonna get we're okay. gonna get more clark bigger and better clark and then we're gonna get um mm -hmm. i'm still i i guess like we might as well go into it <laughs> the motion comic guys is mm -hmm. so well done and so beautiful and like your comic is already like rife with tension. There's so, there's so much going on. It, the discomfort that like you instill in your audience um, that like progresses us through the narrative is, is like nothing I've come across in a long while, especially in, like, I love horror comics, but I, you know, like they, they don't work like movies, you know, that the, there's the, the jump scares, there's not really a jump scare. There's, you know, the, and, and the, the, the score, you know, we don't get like that, that rising tension yeah. in music, but now we do. And it was so cool. <laughs> like, oh man, like, especially when he's having the nightmares and like the animals are eating the soldiers and like the, the war, the, the, the snare drums are going like, it, uh, 
How? Like he was he was your your friend is the composer. You guys just no. no? Yeah. So John Vallely is his name. Um, he's an Irish guy, but I know him from Spain. We both live in Granada together. Uh, we actually met like working on an English co- English course, like teaching Spanish oh, cool. kids English. Uh, yeah, and John's awesome. Like he's studied composing. He's but he's also played in like loads of bands and things, and can do like open mic nights just him with an acoustic guitar. But yeah, he was kind of he studied composing, but was doing a new course on like sound mixing and how to kind of put it all together. So he. He was kind of looking, I think he he needed some kind of project to really make him put stuff into action. So what we kind of did was just for the first issue, John made that like nightmare scene. I gave him the nightmare scene and said, oh, it'd be amazing if you could like put some music to this and we'll release it as like an audio file with people who buy the Kickstarter. Uh, And he did such an amazing job and he also really enjoyed doing it. So yeah, we just kind of said, I said, John, if you know, if you enjoyed it and you want to go ahead and try and do like a full score for the comic, then be my guest. And he, yeah, he did an absolutely incredible job and he synced everything. So it's like so specific that he really went panel by panel. He probably knows the story better than anyone else <laughs> probably better than neil clark at, at this point and so it really does like the, the the visual is like moving across the comic and the music is really tracking with it like you say like there's moments where it will pause and you'll get like the page turn onto some big kind of horrific reveal and the drums and stuff come in and yeah he's done an incredible job and that's available anyone who buys the hardcover there's going to be like a link in the back of the book where you can get to the to the the files like online like there'll be like a qr code and a link but then also anyone who buys the scout trade paperback which is you can buy it at the moment through the kickstarter there's a link on there just to um to get the kind of more like standard as you you kind of expect from a comic shop like all the story together um soft cover trade paperback but anyone who buys that and like shows me i've bought the trade then i'll like dm them the link to get all the the movie oh, cool. version so that everyone can enjoy it yeah so i watched that so you know part of the it's about 80 just shy of 80 minutes i think each 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 issue okay. episodes about okay. 20 minutes <laughs> um goes by like that like it just so like i i watched it when when he when he when uh how, how do i pronounce his last name Vilali? Vilali. um and when he sent me so he he reached out to me randomly um because uh when i got your kickstarter stuff in the mail because uh when uh, weird uh when i backed your last kickstarter i i got the the whole package like all the stuff like the four issues of frank and everything and um when I took pictures of it, he hit me up and he was like, he was like, Hey, um, and, and I must, I don't know if I misread the email or what, but I thought it was just audio, you know, like, cause that's the new deal right now is everybody, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are making soundtracks that you listen to, uh, while you read the comic. Some people are making stuff on Spotify. Some people have friends or are making their own music. Um, so I thought I was just getting like audio files. Right. So when I first clicked the link that he sent me, I was like, okay, like, you know, and I had, I had the comic out and I was going to read issue one while the music played. And then the video screen popped up and and i saw like that opening sequence and i was like whoa what is happening and then i realized it was like an actual like full-blown motion comic and yeah it's 
like he's a genius like his music's beautiful um the the direction from panel to panel like the the smoothness of the transitions and it was really cool like it's you know i hadn't seen a lot like that before and then yeah the the way that he can enhance the tension that you guys already built in the narrative like through the music like through the the pausing on like some of the black screens to kind of like simulate a page turn like i'm watching this with the lights out right like just like you know laying down on the on the in the recliner with my tablet you know like why i'm just like absorbed dude it, it got creepy i was like i got like the shivers i was like this is cool what's that like to to get something like that because so i've heard you know one of the cool things about being a writer and working with an artist is like you get those emails when the 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 new artwork comes in and, and you get to see that and you're like oh it's coming to life and now now both of you like get this project and it's like this is your baby your crazy little insane baby in like a whole new way like what was was it like did it kind of like did it kind of blow you away like seeing that i i mean it was amazing because i live with john i'd like go over to his house for dinner maybe with a couple other people or something uh and then after dinner he'd like play it on the tv so that i could see like where he was up to and so, yeah, I got like real, I'd often see like a whole issue at a time. So I, I wasn't seeing like little pieces and sometimes like, I guess, yeah, I guess it's a bit the same as if like Clark had like delivered me the whole comic issue in like one go. Like, cause obviously I see roughs, I see pencils, inks and colors going in. We make little changes and stuff. But yeah, this was literally like, it kind of arrived fully formed and was amazing. Yeah, I don't know, Clark, I guess it's obviously a big, big thing for you to see someone kind of going that in depth into your work and seeing how that kind of inspired them. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of nice to like not do all the hard work <laughs> and just like watch the other way around. But yeah, I mean, it was really, really all, those, all those animals I make you draw was hard work. Was, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. No, it's like um, it's the way that it came together. I've I've always wanted to see something like that, so I'm really glad it was this project that you know we've been trying it out with because there's so much kind of detail, uh, like storytelling detail that you can put into music that you can put into comics as well, and when they come together. It's I, I know you would you wouldn't have thought it could work as well as it does because obviously there's, the, there's no movement there's no movement in the comics it's it's like the movement is implied mm -hmm. through the panel to, to panel um sequence and stuff and the music kind of like nicely gels it all together in a way that respects the the, the narrative of it so yeah I love I love listening to it I think Clark's art is I don't think it would work with like absolutely everything but Clark puts so much kind of dynamicism into what he draws that you do feel the movement plus Clark's mm -hmm. like the only artist I've ever worked with normally an artist if you send them like three pages of script in a row which asks for like seven panels on a page they'd be like oh, come on man like can we kind of chill this out a bit spread it over a few more pages or kind of bring it down like artists generally they're looking forward to the splash mm -hmm. pages where they can just draw one big image and that's way easier than kind of having to fit on a whole kind of narrative onto a page but Clark's like the only artist who I ever send like a seven panel page to and he'll come back to me and he'll be like, oh, I've added like three more panels <laughs> to this. I think it kind of adds to to the storytelling. <laughs> so he Clark really does show kind of the movement and little moments like you'll get there's bits that there's often he Clark uses the animals amazingly where there'll be events going on in the comic like Frank's there's the, the part with the wolf and various bits like that but he'll always be throwing little small flashes to like an animal's eye like watching them or 
So you get that feeling of kind of jumping around and seeing the action from different perspectives. And I think that, yeah, that works really well with what John did. And also because John was so like, he spent so much time on it and so much kind of love into it. Normally, I think if you sit, there are like motion comics and stuff out there, but they're kind of some, someone's been given, oh, can you stick some music on this and kind of make it key around the page? And it, it doesn't have that level of care. It's it's like more of an afterthought type thing. Like, oh, maybe we can make like the Infinity Gauntlet get us like a, a few thousand more quid by kind of putting this out there or something. But John went so like in depth and like watching it, I saw stuff in Clark's art that I had missed when he was like sending me through pages. There's points where, where it really zooms in on something. And I see that there was something in the background that I hadn't seen or I spot like a, a sneaky animal that's kind of hiding out in like the background of a panel or something. So it does give you definitely like an original experience on top of reading the comic. And, and like you say, with horror comics, the, the thing that you're missing that probably keeps them from being really fully scary is the music. Like music's so important in horror films or like sound in general, you know, yeah, like the, I just saw the film um, The Night House mm. last night. It's the new Rebecca Hall one. It's really good, actually. But there's a few bits where, yeah, like it's silent and then this stereo keeps coming on. And like, that's the bit that everyone in the audience <laughs> is like, whoa, kind of makes you makes you jump. And yeah, I definitely think it's a, a really interesting way to experience the story. Yeah. I, after watching it, this may be like the best usage of like a Kickstarter add-on incentive, like on why you should back a campaign. Like the hardcover is beautiful. The, the new variant you guys posted is like, I'm, I'm like this close to upgrading. I really, I really want it. Um, but like, I've just, you know, like, you know, usually you get like the digital comics or like, you know, some postcards and bookmarks. And I love, I love my bookmarks cause I use them all the time. So like, I always appreciate those, but I mean, like when I saw that you guys were just like, Oh, and we're throwing in this like insanely polished motion comic. Just like, you know, when you back our Kickstarter, I was like, wow. And I keep, that's what I keep telling everybody. I'm like, Hey, like this comic is awesome. It's a really nice looking hardcover, but like the, the cherry, like on this wonderful demented Sunday is the, is this motion comic. And it's so, it's so special and so cool. And I, I still like, it still freaks me out. Like when I get emails from people like, Hey, check this out. I, I just, I can't believe he, he just like messaged me through my blog. Like, Hey, I'd see you like Frank, will you watch this? And I was like, yes, yes, I will. And, and it just like totally blew me away. And I, I experienced the same thing because of the direction and the, like how the, the camera flows over the pages and panels. I noticed a lot more about the art too. Um, the, the usage of like when he zooms in and out, I really like the decision not to have voice actors and sound effects. Like, and it's just the music and it's still, you know, you're still having to read the, the read the text yourself. So it's like the music and you're still kind of in your own head with the narrative as well. And visual, like there's just so many elements of like how you experience Frank now in this motion comic that just makes it, it becomes like totally absorbing, uh, especially if you like put headphones on and, and you're like, you know, it, it, that secludes you even more and ties you like into the narrative. But yeah, it, when you mentioned the eyes so like Clark scares the shit out of me with his eyes. Like it's just like it's so creepy. His actual eyes. No, his, his, his art. His art eyes. <laughs> the, 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 
<laughs> but but it, it like adds this sense of paranoia um the the eyeballs mm-hmm. in the the you know the in the narrative uh whether animal or human and especially frank his his like multicolored irises and as the narrative i feel like as the narrative progresses like because you know he he becomes like more emaciated and he his arm is infected and gross and he yeah awful time <laughs> nothing good nothing. happens to frank that's the one thing i feel bad about is that i don't there's literally like never a hat. He doesn't have any happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's a character of a Sam Raimi movie. It's constant yeah. bad luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very drag me to hell. <laughs> yeah, with the whole, yeah, we didn't have anything vomit into his mouth at least. So, yeah. <laughs> he's got that going. He's got that going for him. Yeah, I think that comes back to what we both kind of said about how I just couldn't imagine anyone but Clark doing this because, like, in the original idea that I had, I really wanted that sense of that these animals. Uh, especially at the beginning before stuff gets really weird, uh, just watching him all the time and always kind of moving around the pen. So if, if Frank goes somewhere, all of the animals kind of follow him as if he's almost like a magnet kind of for them. Like there's the scene in the first issue where Frank's kind of going looking for his family and he's leaving the farm and you get kind of an overview of the farm, but all of the animals are all kind of there pushing towards the edge of their pens and just, yeah, Clark just throwing in all those those little small panels where it's just animals looking kind of at you just to show that Frank isn't necessarily aware of it, but it brings this kind of sensation of being watched, which, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that kind of comes out in it. And really, that's all down yeah, to Clark. It, it does. All the paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> like, like looking over yeah. your shoulder while you're reading it. Like, it just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like um, like I was saying, like when I live in the countryside, it, it, it gets so it can get so quiet if you're just in the middle of nowhere. If the wind's not blowing, you can just hear everything. You can hear like birds just like rustling and leaves and and all this kind of stuff going on. And that kind of isolation really it makes it louder. And so seeing you know, having that in a comic visually where you've got the animals and stuff looking around, got leaves blowing. Um, the first the first spread, no, sorry, the second spread. We've got like a, there's like a a, a like a, a blanket comes off of a of a, of a washing line and just kind of flutters away. Uh, all these kind of little things, you know, to create. You kind of you can hear it in your mind when you're reading it, and then the other the music kind of takes the whole tone of it and and just like focuses on these really cool little details like that. What um, Helps it what out. was your? So I've heard like a, a lot of artists talk about like how cars are like a big pain in the ass to draw. I've also heard like horses, like like horses and cars are like the bane of an artist's existence. Uh, but I mean, I feel like, yeah. I mean, you, you have to, you have to draw a horse a, a few times and, um, and a lot of cows, which are, I get as a, as like a, if you think about like as a model animal is kind of like a fat horse, it's a little bit different, but you know, like, I mean, it's, uh, but so, I mean, like, was that a, was that a challenge too? Especially I'm thinking like, you know, there's a couple really great scenes with, with a horse, uh, especially like when the, and, and a horse and a cow together. Uh, and that's, that's real intense when that happens. But um, was that ever like a, a like, was that hard? Because I feel like some of these panels that you drew, especially like the the the, bit, the splash pages that you draw, is either a lot of architecture, um, in or or a lot of animals in a big group, and I mean you you nailed it. But I, I was thinking about that. Like, was it was it a struggle for you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but especially like because like the cow, um, the cows have like these really cool. They're really beautiful animals, but the shapes of them are just completely unlike <laughs> anything. Like. You know, I've I've drawn lots of cats and dogs and also humans, and the 
you know, if you can't figure something out when drawing a human, for instance, you can just look in the mirror or you can just Google like a reference photo or just a certain pose. But with cows, you've got like a very select few kind of references for how they look. And for the way that I was drawing them in the comic, sometimes you just got to like, you got to figure things out without the reference photos and without like, you just got to like draw cows all the time until you get the shapes right. And then you can mess with those shapes in the frame. You know, you can position the, ca- the, the camera however you want to make that look better or, or, you know, scary or give them some character in that way. So you can kind of get around the anatomy slightly with the rest of the construction of the comic of the of the uh, page in the scene visually with the horse uh, I picked a, a Clydesdale horse like a Shire horse for that character because they've got this very intimidating look and they're very kind of um, they're not particularly athletic looking but they are they're like they're like uh, uh, like bodybuilder types not sorry yeah, um, very solid. Very solid. yeah not like sprinting horses or anything you know what I mean they're not running horses um, but of course then again you limit yourself even more with references I can't find it I don't, I don't know where to find Clydesdale horse to go and draw them so you, again you just take those shapes and you kind of use the rest of the scene to help with the illusion of that animal in the in the in the cam, in the yeah. In the comic, so for instance, we use lots of shadows, lots of uh, putting in, putting the animals in like small spaces to make them feel bigger, and all these kind of things that you can do with comics uh, that you can't really do with film or anything else, any other kind of visual medium to help out. So you can use different angles and um, perspectives. Like lots of I use lots of like kind of wide angle lens stuff, where the further you go left or right down a panel, like I, I can do like a panorama thing and 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 kind of warp everything to help with bringing that monster out of the animal. If that yeah. makes sense. That's awesome. And then like, when you talk about references, like, you know, it, it, no matter how many animals you look at or Google, you're, you're never going to find a cow that's sitting at a table smoking a cigar. That's just not, that's not an image. Uh, the, I thought you did really uh, – that was one of the strongest elements of the narrative, I thought. Like, as the narrative progresses and the insanity becomes more intense and how these uh, – these these animals like kind of take on more humanistic aspects like uh, you know the the pig sitting at the table and i still love i still love that part about soup uh like it's just so so interesting like uh are you are you time out but are you like are you a big soup fan like did you just like did you have to like drop in that like i know a lot about soup and i have to put it into a narrative somewhere (laughs) I just really needed people to know about my my three years studying in France. Uh, no, uh, I don't know where the soup originally as well. The title was Frank at Home on the Farm or An Animal's Search for the Perfect Soup. Like the whole thing, <laughs> like like Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. But already Frank at Home on the Farm is quite hard to hashtag because you don't have that much space left in your tweet, <laughs> the characters at that point. So to have the full thing, yeah, might have been a bit intense. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the soup thing was there from the beginning as well. I don't know why. I don't. Yeah, I don't make soup, or I like soup. You know, I'm happy to if anyone's offering some soup, I'll I'll try some. But uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know why the soup thing. Hmm? It's very rustic. It's very suiting of the environment of a farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. it's just a weird. I think because I, I mean I've written quite a lot now, and I've been writing for like a long time. Um, I studied script writing for film and television at university. Um, but there's something about Frank, like often with other stuff, it's like someone asks me to work with me and they're like, oh, could it be this type of thing? Or I want to write for a particular artist. So I try and think up a story that kind of suits with them. But there's something like, and all that stuff, it's like like Weird Work is a series I kind of have going at the moment that's 
basically I, I was reading the James Elroy novels, the LA Confidential mm. and the Black Dahlia and that kind of stuff. And I really fell in love with that multi-stranded kind of noir 1950s style. And I was like, I want to work with Shaky Kane. He doesn't draw that type of stuff. He draws crazy stuff. So let's make all the characters aliens and a whole world of weird creatures. But I had that kind of in my head. But Frank is like, I guess, like the most pure thing that I've ever done. Like I, I, told, I had that weird jolt from the dis- the description in that um, before sunrise film about the idea of this cow sitting at a table. But apart from that, like, obviously there was subconscious elements. There's Twin Peaks in there. There's Jacob's Ladder. There's Stephen King stuff. But it, yeah, it was the most just kind of coming like straight out of my head. And yeah, the, the soup thing, I think, just came with that initial idea of the story. I, yeah, I guess it's like, it's the most just like, in terms of um, not having that many reference points or inspirations from other stuff that I like. Like every, everything else is kind of like, oh, I want to write something a bit like this type thing. Whereas Frank was just very much just kind of came out of me, which is worrying probably. I imagine my family are very concerned uh, <laughs> with that. If this is like the most pure version of my brain, <laughs> It's it's Frank. There you go. Um, when <laughs> so I was I was in an MFA program, a creative writing program, and I was always I was always scared for my family to read my stuff because it was <laughs> my mom's side of the family is very religious, and I'm very not. So like mm-hmm. you know, like the language I used in in my short stories and stuff, like I knew a lot of my family was like, no, like I don't want to. Like, I don't want to read the F word. Like, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I always kind of had that fear too of like, oh man, everybody's going to like think I'm messed up. But I mean, now we know, like, you know, that you got to separate the, the writer and the artist. Like, just, just because you guys make this like wonderfully demented thing doesn't mean like you've got a shed in your backyard full of dead animals or something, you know, like it doesn't mean. That's like the, the fact that Clark has that shed in his backyard is a complete coincidence. That's where the inspiration for the finale came from. Is Clark, Clark was like, I got to set the shed on fire to destroy the evidence. And, um, and oh, it, it also works really great for issue four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he got big into taxidermy following the. Yeah. Based on a news article from back home. Yeah. So what was so I really like how the 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 multi the the, the different ways that you guys use to show like uh, how like unstable he is throughout the narrative and part of that comes into. Uh, like Clark's art, like some of the bigger pages, like um, even like the, the dialogue bubbles kind of break apart sometimes. Um, and then. Uh, letter squid yeah. is, uh, is the he's, letterer. And he's, he's, an, he's an amazing letterer. So well. is that, did he, yeah. did he come up with the, like that part, like the, the break, the, the bubbles like kind of crumbling and. Uh, specifically that was actually me. I wrote oh, that nice. into the, into the script. But uh, yeah, a lot of the other stuff is is Lettuce Wids kind of running with it, like the style for all the different kind of animal characters, balloons and stuff like that. That's very much. Um, yeah, the, the lettering is so good. It's like good. it's it's kind of like it's very clear, but it's also kind of like uh, it's kind of like jagged. And it's, it's so weird. I, mm. I still feel weird talking about lettering because I always feel stupid. But like it's like it's mean. It's like it's got like a mean, um, uncomfortable shape to it sort of like you know but 
yeah. I don't want to, in a not negative way at all. Cause like I said, it's, it's totally, it's totally clear. It works perfectly with the narrative, but it's just a different style of text that really, again, brings out more of this, you know, instability and, and discomfort, uh, from the readers. And then also Clark, like I really liked, um, the, some of your, the layouts, like when, you know, you, you kind of read it unconventionally, like it reads as a spiral, um, or, or like visually when the panels kind of break apart and crumble, um, on the page. And it's just like, man, like, the, the, so like, just str- like you, you have the great story, you have the great art and you guys structure it so well. And you have like these amazing, like the lettering like is perfect. It's like, it's no wonder, like, scout was just instantly like hey like we want to put this out because i've heard i've talked to other guys who had successful kickstarters and but then had to pitch it afterwards and they they've told me like in interviews that it gets easier or well it's still hard but once you have the actual comic like and it's done and you've printed it you can send it to people and pitch it like and so like they've they've they talk about that because that's kind of the new it's happening more and more is, is, uh, is publishers are picking up successful Kickstarters after, after the campaigns. Um, but it seems like, I mean, you still have to pitch it. You still have to, you know, send out your query letters and stuff and get people to read it. And so like, I just think it's so cool that they just, they, they came to you guys. Like that's, 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 you got to feel like a fucking rock star. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, no, I mean, it was, it was really cool. And getting like the, the email through and just, just the idea, I guess, the like people in the industry were kind of seeing yet yeah, like our stuff and paying attention and thinking oh yeah that that looks like something we'd be interested in and like you were saying with the kind of the whole package like i can separate myself out from this especially on the kickstarters because the kickstarter stuff is way is just it's about the artists really like when i go around looking at kickstarters if i look on it and i don't like the art then really whatever the story's about is going to struggle mm-hmm. to then win me over but yeah, it's, I think it's a very, Clark is like, I mean, he, he was great on Murder Most Mundane, but by the time he'd moved on to ours as well. Like, But the thing with, with Clark that was amazing kind of over the four issues was just seeing how he started at like such a high level. Like I would, I'd say the first issue, the art is as good as pretty much anything you're going to find on Kickstarter anyway. But it just kind of kept going up to the point where, um, without embarrassing Clark too much, that fourth issue, it's just incredible. The fourth issue, is there's not a single like panel or anything that isn't just like spectacular in that fourth issue so yeah i guess from like a scout perspective it's it's there it's kind of like no risk Mm. pretty much because if you take a pitch on you know you've got like a page telling you what this five issue series is going to be like or something but they could literally just look at it they they all they had to do really was kind of you know obviously promote it and I think Scout are in a really good place where people trust them as kind of a brand where where they put out like consistently good stuff. So so people will just buy Scout books because they trust Scout, which is a really amazing thing and kind of speaks to how well they've been choosing projects. But yeah, that like in terms of Frank, they they slightly redid um, the credits page, like not not the story page, like the first page you see when you turn over the comic and they put their logo on the front cover. And besides that, you're kind of ready in terms of the actual comics. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to make it easier pitching to people with it ready. But I guess it just depends. I think it's going to change, but not all publishers will take stuff that's already been on mm. Kickstarter. 
currently and that's going to be interesting to see how that changes because image are doing stuff where like they're letting like scott snyder put like a director's cut of some new series he's got coming out a bit down the line on kickstarter but that's scott snyder and i i don't know i don't know how that's going to be there's going to be interesting (laughs) with future stuff that i have to see which kind of companies are willing to look because um i mean i've spoken with aftershock is one where they got in touch with me following kind of Frank coming out and they were very like, oh, we would have published that. Like, we we love that. But they don't take Kickstarter stuff. They want you to kind of pitch oh. to them and build it out from there. But I, I don't know if that will that will change. Um, image be interesting. I mean, I, I spoke, I, I saw Jimmy Palmiotti on um, Word Balloon a little while ago. They did like a, a YouTube kind of live one and you could ask questions. And I was asking Jimmy how he thought that would change with companies. And he basically said, like, if a company thinks they can make some money off of it, he thinks that they will come around to it kind of eventually. Because it's like our numbers, like, you know, it was was a successful Kickstarter. It's not Clark's gone on to much bigger and better things in terms of Kickstarter numbers um, since Frank with Killtopia. Like, we weren't, like, some extraordinary kind of, um, like, behemoth on on Kickstarter. We got the, the backers we needed to make it happen. And it was amazing, like, at having... It's like a couple of hundred people like what we were putting out enough to want to give us money for it. But um, like when you're a scout or a publisher like that, having sold 200 issues already, it shouldn't really matter to you because they're dealing in thousands of sales. So it, it does feel like something where, yeah, I, I don't think that just because something's been on Kickstarter already and a few hundred people have bought it like if you're if you're scout and you're putting something out you know you're looking to sell minimum like five thousand copies mm. of that first issue so so yeah I, I, hopefully it will be a, a space that opens up kind of wider with people like dark horse and idw and things maybe taking on kickstarter books as well i just love it like so i i talked to some friends because you know everybody right now is talking about Substack, right everybody's freaking out about it um <laughs> I think people are starting to warm up to the idea. I think the bigger discourse now is, is a lot of people are feel like they're being forced into digital comics. Um, even though like pretty much everybody said they're going to print this stuff later. Uh, but you know, I, I've told people that, you know, when, when I grew up with comics, it was X-Men. You could buy X-Men comics at the gas station and grocery store. And that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I knew about Marvel, you know, and then I got into, I got into Batman real, real big as a kid. I got into Ninja Turtles. And then I, you know, as I got older, I learned about indie comics and the, the kind of just like, oh no, no, sorry. <laughs> That's my wake up alarm. I forgot to turn off. Um, so we, uh, I, I got into uh, DC and then I learned about image and, you know, spawn was real big when I was a kid. And, and, uh, I, I remember like getting that, getting the issue of violator. And there was like the first time I saw like on the cover, there's like disembodied like people and like guts and blood everywhere. And so like, you know, as a kid, like I had that in my backpack and it was like, it was, it was almost like I had like a playboy magazine, right? Like, I, I, like I'm showing friends at school and we're like hiding it from the teachers and stuff, you know? Uh, and so I learned learned about excuse, I learned about indie comics and I started learning that you know like oh like there's other stuff other than the big two and I'm gonna follow good stories stories that interest me uh, that led me to indie that led me to Kickstarter uh, and and I am loving Kickstarter like I I'm loving Kickstarter too much like it's almost dangerous because you you know you, you're like ooh back 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 and and then like oh two yeah, weeks yeah, yeah. later 
$300 is gone from my bank account. <laughs> so I'm having to learn to be careful. But, uh, uh, and then, so I told people, you know, I was like, you know, I, I am open to new ways of storytelling. And if it comes out that like Substack's putting out some cool stuff, I'm going to try that too. The, uh, so, uh, you know, it's, comics are changing right now. And I like that. Um, I like, uh, I like how Kickstarter gives people the opportunity when a comic can't find a home, but that doesn't mean it's not great. Um, you know, and, and you can, you can put out a comic if you believe in it and, and, you know, hustle for the PR and stuff. And, you know, I, Substack's interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting in the, in the next month to see kind of what happens there. But, you know, it's just, things are changing, you know, like where people aren't using diamonds anymore to deliver their just like there's big moves in the comic industry but i think that's important like i i i like seeing the stuff evolve like i like risk takers in comics and like you guys i mean frank is a big risk like it's it's not your average read it's um you know you it, it especially like a, on a monthly release schedule you know it's you you don't have like a, a cookie cutter superhero narrative where like here's Frank and he's on an adventure. It's like, here's Frank and we don't know a lot about him and maybe everything's a lie. I don't know. Wait till next month. <laughs> you know? So it's, um, it's, so it's just cool to see how things are evolving. And, and I, I'm, I'm excited that like, uh, I'm, I'm excited that Frank is having comics like Frank are having success. Your new Kickstarter seems to be, uh, doing pretty well. Uh, and I mean, it, you know, it's like, you guys have this awesome motion comic you're including in it. And also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but like you, all the, like something is killing the children and like all these new titles that are like really long. And it's like this new trend. And you guys like, were one of the first to do that. Like Frank at home on the farm is like this kind of like vague but odd comic title um and and now like all these new and, and they're all horror comics like there's the last book you'll ever read the uh, the me you love in the dark i think i always say that title wrong i may have just said that wrong again but you so like i don't know like you you guys are like kind of you got you guys are trendsetters if, if you haven't noticed uh, <laughs> so when i see james tinney and uh fort bubble i can say that he maybe owes me <laughs> a slice of his some of his profits Okay, that's good to know. I think, yeah, I think, well, the title is kind of, because I did have um, some people before we started the first Kickstarter suggest changing the title to something a little more kind of Oh, I'm so glad say. you didn't. Oh, I'm um, so glad. Yeah, well, the whole point, you mentioned it earlier with the thought bubbles and how everything's a bit, I think, like, unnatural would be the kind of word that I would put forward with Frank as, like, a description of what kind of tone we were going for, like, everything's meant to just feel a little bit off kilter. So the fact that like Frank at home on the farm is quite an odd, it feels like an odd title. It doesn't feel quite right. It feels like you should have edited a couple of words out of it or something that makes you already feel a bit unsettled going in. And then, yeah, the, the way the word balloons are done, the way Clark kind of frames the pages and it's all kind of playing into the overall yeah unnaturalness of the storyline until the point where obviously you see animals acting incredibly unnaturally. <laughs> And yeah, I guess that's kind of a big, a big part of it. Clark, what was the? But we need new audiences. <laughs> but what, like you were saying with Substack, with Substack, um, it's it's not something that I've, I've I've read a bit about it, but I haven't subscribed to any or anything yet. But we need people to be trying new and different things in comics because you're not replenishing the audiences. There aren't a ton of like eight year olds getting into comics because, like you said, it kind of it kind of all moved to specialist mm -hmm. shops. 
and you couldn't just be like with your mum at the like the supermarket and be like, oh, that, that looks cool. Or I saw Spider-Man on the, at the cinema and that was great. And look, there he is in a comic. Will you get that for me? And then that kind of gets people into it. It's like there are all these shops which can be welcoming or less welcoming, depending on the types of people you've got kind of working there. And but they are quite they're quite intimidating places, comic shops to go into often because they're it's often quite focused people. People are very mm-hmm. focused and they like the things that they like. And so it's like a mum with like a sorry club. Very passionate people. Yeah, well, very definitely very passionate. But if you have if you have a certain Green Lantern you don't like or you do like and they have an opposite opinion, they'll tell you exactly why <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. They will like if like a five year old like picks up the wrong comic, some shops will will tell him he's an idiot and send him away or something, you know, like Jack Black in High Fidelity. So they're not necessarily somewhere where a mum with her like five-year-old are going to want to go into. So the more different ways they can try and not that Substack's going to be attracting kids, to be honest, but just the more different kind of ways you can get stuff out there. And yeah, I just think getting more comics just into places where kids can see them. We have that a bit more in Europe, I think, Clark, because like we don't have so many comic shops that you do get like the reprints and stuff like they always have like Batman yeah, and X-Men being reprinted that you can buy in just like news agents and stuff. Yeah, like WH Smith and stuff, they'll do like the Panini, it's like a collection almost of, you know, themed. So you have got like the Spider-Man book that comes out monthly, you know, X-Men. Usually it, it goes alongside with what movie's coming out. You know, the Black Widow movie came out. There were collections of Black Widow comics that were, were on, this, uh, on the set, on the shelves as well. You know, alongside like 2000 AD and all that kind of stuff that we have. But yeah, yeah, Europe's like pretty different with comics where if you go to, you know, Spain, for instance, or you know France and stuff that their comic shops are always bustling with people and and they have these really cool titles and they're all like lots of hardcover comics as well um, and just generally a, a really different history with comics and the medium in America over there we get more respect <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in France and Spain and stuff rather than the weird looks in England or if you tell someone <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been getting into, uh, I, I back a lot of like magnetic presses, um, Kickstarters. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big on them, but they, they use a lot of like overseas creators. Um, and they're, they're companies based in the Midwest. Like, so they're like, I'm in Kansas city and they're in St. Louis, which is pretty close. And, uh, just a few hours away, but I mean, yeah, they, they use a lot of, uh, of foreign art, uh, artists and writers and the, they're amazing. Like they're, they're a little more expensive, but you, they also have like really beautiful hardcovers and like nice weighty pages, which I never thought that I would like geek out over like the thickness of paper and stuff, but that's one. Yeah. Like that's one of my favorite parts about Kickstarter is like everything has a cardstock cover. Everything has like nice weighty paper. It feels good to just hold and turn the pages in your hand. Like that's one of my favorite things about getting physical. Oh, we've got some really, we got some seriously thick paper in the hardcover. I think it's a uh, 170 GSM for any printing nerds out there. But yeah, that's going to be like your, I don't know, have you got the Hellboy library mm-hmm. editions or some of the, yeah, that like there, that I think it's around that kind of level that, of like, yeah. That's, that's what I love. Like when I turn the page yeah. and think that like two pages are stuck together. And so every time and, and you're like, yeah. kind of, you're like, Nope, that's one. Like I want to do that every time I turn yeah. the page, like it makes me happy. I don't know why I'm weird. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so mag- magnetic press is kind of, I, I like that they're trying to introduce, um, you know, uh, Western audiences to, to more creatives, uh, and 
and I, I, I think their books are really cool. Um, and they, but they predominantly, uh, go out on Kickstarter too. And I mean, they're, they're kind of different though. Like they do Kickstarter campaigns that raise like, I think the, the last one did like over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and they, <laughs> they, they add like, you know, like I spent 80 bucks on like a dual comic slipcase edition thing and uh they do cool stuff like that so i mean it's a little costly but you the end result like the comics you get in the mail are like very beautiful and look wonderful on a shelf and and are just like a pleasure to hold and read um i'm just now getting into manga uh which is blowing my mind uh you know i got i got that uh shonen jump app and it's two bucks a month and i have like thousands of books i can like dive into and and just kind of randomly check out and I just, uh, it's, I, I, it's crazy how in America, it's not that, well, in America, we're still having the, the stupid debate on if comics are literature or not, which I just, I want to like grab people and shake them. Like it's, it's fucking literature. Like get off your high horse. When I was in grad school, my, um, thesis or my advisor, uh, she told me that, like I needed to quit reading junk and she, cause I was, I was really into like sci-fi and I took the sci-fi course and I was like, I was like wanting to try writing sci-fi and stuff. And she's like, you need to read more real literature. And then like, of course the, the doctor teaching my sci-fi course, like I told him about that. And he was like, first of all, don't let anyone ever tell you what is or isn't literature ever. And that was one of the smartest things, like the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars I spent in college (laughs) like that was one of the smartest things i learned was don't ever ever let someone tell you what is or isn't literature or what you should or shouldn't read you know like always take recommendations but like just don't don't ever let people like same with music and movies you know like like what you want love what you want art is subjective you know we're all gonna like different things Mm. uh so yeah so and i i took that to heart and and i always remind people of that too and i and i you will never i will never be that asshole in the comic shop that's like that's trash like like don't you know i'll never tell i'll never tell someone to put a comic back on the shelf even if i know it's bad Mm -hmm. you know like i'm never gonna be that guy and and i think more people need to be like that especially in in american comic discourse because we we do kind of have shit like we're not i don't know if you guys watch the news we're not a perfect place (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, we got a lot of issues here. And one of them is like our sense of entitlement with with sequential art narratives, man. Like, I don't know why people get like we all we're all nerds. Like, just be happy. People are, you know, like if if people quit buying comics, we're all screwed because then like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not going to be able to interview anybody if comics aren't coming out. You guys are creatives like you need you need the comics to come out more than all of us. You know, like it's. we we got to support each other and, and be happy with what's out there and but yeah anyway I don't know nerds are angry people I don't like, it's a, yeah, I, I think it, it's a, it's an internet problem yeah. I think it's a, yeah you can find yeah. it on pretty much everything like Clark posts some wonderful posts that people put in <laughs> some of the Facebook um like comic and art groups just kind of oh, like yeah. long yeah. like multi paragraph angry kind of vendetta <laughs> posts that. Yeah, Clark will just reply. Um, 
Uh, do you have any art to share? You get onto these like pages and people, grifters will go onto the pages and, and, and try and like work their, work their like typing magic and stuff. And they kind of, people, some people can see through it and it, it's kind of funny like seeing all that kind of thing. But for one of those, there's always like thousands of, of like genuine people who are really, really into, into the, the craft of art, of comics and storytelling and things. Um, uh, and the Kickstarter community is really nice. Like mm-hmm. I think everyone that I kind of meet and deal with are all really nice people. And the, the comics community in general, like the actual community of people kind of making stuff and working are lovely. I mean, like people are help like people like Gail Simone on Twitter, like you can send her any Kickstarter link or whatever and she'll mm-hmm. share it for you. And I've chatted with like Jimmy Palmiotti and he's really nice and Shelly Bond, like we chat over email kind of a bit like where I just, I backed something of hers on Kickstarter and I just got in touch being like, Oh, I'm doing like a comic as well. And I'd really like to try and use this artist that you use. Would you mind like putting me in touch? And she did it straight away and things. So there's so many like nice people. I think as well, like for me growing up and being like, like you've got your huge shelf behind you, Blake, I've got similar upstairs. And so lots of these people like super like celebrities to me, like, like Glenn Faber is doing the variant cover for our um, Frank uh, hardcover he did, collection. He did the Preacher and covers, I, right? He did all the Preacher covers. He did Hellblazer. He, he's he, he's done most of Garth Ennis' okay. stuff, basically. So when Garth Ennis did Hellblazer, they're like my favorite covers of all time. And so Glenn's like someone that I've grown up with, like adoring their work. And he would be like, if like... Uh, NBA fan met like um, Michael Jordan or something <laughs> like he's like for me he's like the best comic cover artist there's ever been and then like I ended up well I actually ended up getting friendly with him because I ended up interacting with his wife on like Instagram because she hosted some stuff and I commented and we kind of were chatting and she was like oh yeah I'm just learning to be a colorist at the moment but my partner is Glenn Fabry so he gives me lots of advice and I was like what do you you mean like uh like Hellblazer and Preacher Glenn Fabry so like, oh yeah yeah oh he really likes that you mentioned Hellblazer everyone always says Preacher but he's really proud of his Hellblazer covers and since then we've kind of ended up being like friends and because the majority of people don't know who Glenn Fabry is like so we I think as comic fans we hold them as imagining them kind of like movie stars or whatever but most like like most of them, they have a very intense but small fan yeah. base, and they're just really nice, normal people who are looking for jobs and are doing all the same kind of stuff that we're all doing, unless you're like um, McFarlane <laughs> or something, maybe. <laughs> you know, McFarlane but, feels yeah, like, like I feel like he's super chill though too. I, he's just like a an adult kid who like found a way to make millions of dollars off playing with action figures all day. I know he, I know he makes like spawn and spawns like in a resurgence again and stuff too. But I mean, like his action figure line, uh, is, is blowing up again. He's, he's, he's he's so smart. That guy, he was like, when you look at like the image creators, they were like, um, like in power Rangers when they all come together and they form that like super thing. They're like that and that like Todd was like the brains who just was great for finances and knowing what to do. And Rob Liefeld was like the childlike passion for kind of doing stuff. And Jim Lee was like the superstar. And they all just kind of fulfilled these like different parts of making all that stuff so successful. But yeah, that man is like so savvy and like switched on to what people yeah, want. And he seems like he just, I don't know. He seems very humble and cause he does a lot of social media stuff. Um, 
especially mm-hmm. on Facebook. Like he, he, he always posts like these Facebook videos, like showcasing the new action figures and stuff. And every video, man, it cracks me up. Cause he's like, he reminds me of like me as a kid getting like that new Ninja Turtle toy. Right. And like, and he's like posing them in the, and he's like, Oh, look how great this looks. And I'm like, man, like you're living the dream, dude. Like you're, you're a comic book rock star, but, but also like you're, you get to play with action figures all day. And like, it's like, uh, so cool. I think, I think that's the thing with comic book professionals is that there's like all comic book professionals love this stuff when mm-hmm. they were kids. I think there's like other things like you hear about sportsmen who were just really athletic, but they don't really care that much about the sport. It was just a way to like earn loads of money. I don't think anyone, because there just isn't like, there's very, very small guarantee that you're going to make a really kind of successful financial career through comics. Everyone that's kind of in comics has to kind of love what they're doing or at least when they first came into it like they all love it like you're not going to kind of find anyone who chose who was like an amazing artist but chose comics because they thought that was like the best financial <laughs> sense so so it's so everyone making comics when they were younger were like fans so i think that gives it kind of a special yeah when way. i was a kid so yeah. like i said like we you know we used to be able to buy comic books at gas stations and stuff and so like you know i'm in second grade all of us are obsessed with x-men because that was when the jim lee uh claremont run like jump started um that was also mm-hmm. how uh, the the first like they always say like you know comic books will break your heart that was my first heartbreak because I took like my lawn mowing like allowance money and bought like all five of these X-Men issues right and I had all of them the yeah. one where they, and, and yeah. I, I realized I was like all these comics are the same like they're they're just have different <laughs> covers like I spent like I spent all my money on the same comic with different covers and it like it kind of messed me up, man. I was like, I was like, comics are mean, you know? And, and now I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'll spend, I'll spend 25 bucks on a David Nakayama store exclusive cover. I'm like obsessed with variants mm. now. And it, which is funny. Cause as a kid, like I still just, I still remember oh, that sadness of just like, I have five <laughs> X-Men comics to read. Oh, they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, is, that is a very sad story. I'm surprised yeah. you recovered. I think that's probably <laughs> just, you know. many, many hours of therapy. <laughs> that, that's why I compulsively buy comics and do everything. In my now that I'm older, is just like I'm competing with that that little that little asshole Blake who who cried about all the variant issues that he had. Uh, but anyway, like, so we were all loving these X-Men comics and uh, a couple of my buddies were, were, you know, good at drawing at that age. And so we, we were going to draw this X-Men comic and just like leave it on the rack at Seven Eleven. So like people bought it and we got to, you know, like, we're like, this is how we're going to break into the, we're going to break into Marvel comics. And so like at recess and stuff, like we're all like drawing and like making this just absolutely Absolutely terrible X-Men story, which was just like an amalgamation of like little bits and pieces we saw on the X-Men cartoon in the nineties, you know? And like, but yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm ever, and then I kind of fell out of it for a while. Like I, I, uh, you know, early college and stuff, like I was really into short stories and stuff and comics weren't really on my narrative. And then now I'm 35 and it's, I'm living and breathing it, man. Like the, the last couple months in quarantine, like the, the blog's kind of taken off and I'm getting to, I'm getting to talk to like really talented comic creators. Like I never, I didn't think this shit was going to happen. Like it, it's crazy. It's still like you mentioned how we like view these creatives as rock stars, you know? And like, 
I I was so like I was telling all my friends I was like oh my god guys like I'm I'm talking to Frank I'm like I you guys I tweeted it like and I was like I get to talk to him in the morning like I was excited to get up when my alarm went off today I was like up ready to go I was like, yes so I mean yeah I just um it's so it's so cool to get like and as like a, a storytelling nerd it's just kind of cool to like talk to you guys about how stuff gets created um the, i like talking about like it's interesting when like the the stresses of kickstarter and the the terribleness of like shipping like i never i never thought about that till i kind of talked to some of you guys about just how like m- the monotony of like packing up the the mailers and then like sending them out and like praying to the gods that they don't like come back or get damaged and stuff like I, you know i never think about that i just think about like clicking the button getting my comics in the mail <laughs> yeah, yeah like, it, 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 i'll say like all this like talking about comics and stuff and making comics it's all we're all basically still on that playground though right like we're all just like kids at hearts just you know whether you're the the, the kid rocks the, the the comic rock stars or, or if you're on the indie scene like it's there's such a nice kind of like playfulness with comics in general regardless of the making of them and stuff and all that's like very complex complicated and hard work but you know um books just full of like a cool visual story uh, with words and everything like that's just the, the base of what we enjoy about them you know that same energy of being of love them as a kid kind of comes through as an through adults and it's just so nice yeah should... there's so many possibilities like comics are just such a beautiful kind of i feel like anything can kind of be told in comics more or mm-hmm. less like but then mm-hmm. it, it can't necessarily be translated into other mediums I don't think you could show me a film that someone couldn't kind of adapt into a cool comic, but not every comic yep. will adapt well into a yep. film. Like there's, so, there's so much kind of, so many strengths to it and different styles. I mean, you look at, I, I know, like one of my favorite artists is David Mazzucchelli. Um, He did like Born Again with um, Daredevil, which is amazing. But he also did um, a thing called Asterius Pollock. I don't know if you've read that, but I guess just like, it's completely different. Like his style, he just changed it. And it's kind of, it's like a book where he's just putting everything he's learned over the years into this kind of different style of storytelling. And you could put Born Again, which is like, I think the greatest superhero comic story of all time. And then like Asterius Pollock next to each other. And you just wouldn't have a clue that it's like the same person. It's a completely different type of story told in a different way. And yeah, I just think that's a, a really interesting thing. I mean, that I've read Monsters just the other day, the Barry Windsor yeah, Smith. Yeah, that's kind of 30 years in the making thing and that's just incredible and it's just nice that they're putting stuff like this out there, you know, like a 360 page comes out all in one big collection and it just looks beautiful. And then you've got people kind of making zines like that they just kind of very kind of um, kind of vulgar type style, I guess you might want to call it, that they can just photocopy and staple and you can see those for sale at comic events as well. It's just kind of all the spectrums can be covered. I'm really glad that you brought up the variance in art styles because that's uh, I've been trying to figure out how to segue into this. Clark, I just uh, got uh, Killtopia Volume 1. And I didn't realize uh, that you were the artist on it until recently. Uh, uh, Clark started on. Oh, you're, so you're. Yeah, volume one and two oh, was that's, Okay, that's uh, so. that's why I was because I was like I didn't even recognize your art because so okay wow all right I, your host didn't do enough research. 
Waterstones keeps getting it wrong as well, so it's fine. Because Dave Dave Cook uh, messaged me, and he was like, he wants to come on and and talk about the new Killtopia, and and he and he was like, I saw your interview in Clark, and and I was like, oh yeah, I just I just got volume one of your comic in the mail, and all right, I'll just I'll just cut this out. Craig, Craig Patton is, uh, yeah, he's a Scottish artist. He did volumes one and two. He's awesome. I love his stuff. Um, he moved on to do other things like Hardcode, uh, which is a really cool little Kickstarter thing he did with like a little anthology, different sort of things he did. So I took over for okay. three. And uh, yeah, so I had to adapt my style a little bit for Kiltopia. Uh, straight from, I did, um, I did Frank Home the Farm and then um, Cyberarchy with Matt Hardy for um, Heavy Metal Magazine. So I kind of like, I kind of like transitioned slightly in, in from horror straight to sci-fi, and uh, and yeah, so now I'm so on. So are you going to do? Are you on? Kilt, you're doing volume four too, right? Yeah. Uh, four so and you're going you're to finish yeah, it. You're going to do be. the because he he said five was going to be the last one. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's um he's finished that script now. And he's very excited. And we're, we're all very excited. Yeah, it's a it's um, a cool so, comic, yeah. man. Like I'm I'm excited <laughs> to uh I, I and again like I was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, this 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 writer is just like mess like hit me up on Twitter like, hey, I I saw your show like what? No, you didn't, liar! Like, <laughs> you know, like the imposter syndrome is is also real for like comic reviewers and podcasters. <laughs> Yeah, same with artists. And I bet writers too. Yeah, that imposter syndrome. Is it is it hard to like switch up? You know, you said you like you go from like this cerebral horror to now sci-fi, and and then Killtopia is kind of sci-fi action. Like, is it is it tricky to like switch it up? Or um, not particularly. It's more. Um, I mean, I, I approached the storytelling aspect of it pretty much the same. Like, um, you know, I, I've got my own way of of interpreting scripts and stuff, which is obviously still like accessible and, and anyone can enjoy it. But I want to do things in a particular way. And so the genre isn't really as important for me, um, but I do love, it was my first, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get to draw that kind of action at Tinkletopia or anything before. So I was like really pumped because I used to draw like kind of action scenes as kids all the time. Uh, and so it was pretty easy to like cross over. Okay. Uh, because I'm not coloring this one though, um, that's Lou Ashworth. Uh, I am only doing the inks. So what the hardest part is having to draw in a way that another uh, colorist can understand what's going on. Because when I color, when I uh, uh, drew and inked Frank, I knew exactly what was going on and how to color certain things. But also that was a different color yeah, color palette mm-hmm. altogether. So um, yeah, it's it's been pretty. Is it easy, hard really. to like more so? <laughs> is it is it tricky to more kind of relinquish that control? <laughs> like when you go from like pencils and inks and colors to Frank, and then to to like let someone else color your work? Or are you like like when you send it off are you are you kind of like nervous like uh, like what are they going to do to it or is it like are you kind of just like do you trust them oh i trust them yeah yeah i'm very excited to see it every time um because i have no idea how it's good i have i try to not think about what the colors are going to look like when i'm making it because i know that it's going to end up as a colorist interpretation um and i I do give pointers every now and then like for instance we got a character coming up in killtopia uh called bloody mary um, who uh, I designed off uh, Dave's description. So, and I gave some color pointers of how I wanted that character to look and stuff. But that's pretty much it. Other, otherwise, it's just I'm always happy for artists who I work with to do what they what they want, like do what their their nice. strengths are over the top. And then I'll try and adapt slightly to help that aspect of the art as well. So overall, we get the book that works, you know, in conjunction with everything else, perfectly as as better as perfectly as we can make it. You know? What's your guys's like favorite genre to work in? Because I mean. 
you, I mean, I, you guys have done like horror and sci-fi and, and kind of action stuff. Um, you know, Jordan, you did the, the quarantine, uh, book, uh, that was, yeah. well, Clark did the, the kind of showstopper page in that one is Clark's, I don't know if you remember the full outside shot of the building. Oh, with, uh, yeah. Clark did. Yeah. That was Clark's page for that one. So like what, uh, like where, what feels like, where, what feels like home? Like, or I, I mean, or, or do you prefer not to be like, I mean, I, I guess we all prefer to like, you know, we, we want to be multifaceted, but like, you know, like, is it, do you have more fun, I guess maybe like writing horror or like uh, sci-fi or, or like high, high action zaniness or, or like, uh, your, your new one, uh, weird, uh, uh, is it weird world. Yeah. Weird, weird work. World. I always weird call work. I wish it could I be always, weird world. Marvel had already taken weird world. I always call so, it weird uh, world. Yeah, yeah. You would think <laughs> as like a comics journalist, I would say the titles of things, right. But you are wrong. <laughs> uh, the artist often calls it weird world as well. So I wouldn't want it. That would have been the ideal name, but yeah, Marvel have got that weird world series okay. themselves. Um, so yeah, that was taken. Um, yeah, I don't really, I guess I don't think about it too much in terms of what genre do I want to work in? I guess when I write, like my main thing is just that I, I write stuff that I would want to buy. So it's all a little bit odd, like nothing's <laughs> generally ever too straightforward. Maybe mugshots is quite a straightforward kind of crime story, but, um, yeah, none, like uh, it's just generally like Frank is exactly the type of like horror thing that I would want to sit down and watch. Like me and Clark both really love stuff like The Witch and um, The Lighthouse. And I love stuff like Hereditary mm. and like those kind of weird uh, kind of really atmospheric, creepy horror films. Uh, yeah, and then again, like, I was loving LA Confidential and I wanted to work with Shaky and I was like, okay, what was my kind of version of an epic crime story that kind of spans decades be like? But yeah, it's really just, just writing stuff that, that I would buy myself, I guess, is really the only thing that I kind of focus on. I'm kind of the same, yeah. Uh, it's where it's like I want to do, the, yeah. I want, I want to create stuff that I would want to read, like like Frank. Um, and um, but when I'm working with the Kiltopia as well now. Um, and I, yeah, I, I guess her genre is not really too important but i do love the action stuff because i love drawing action personally um and um i'm trying to do my own comic right now uh and i'm a couple of pages in and it's very kind of like fallout kind of wasteland uh, wasteland wanderer type story where everything you know i can make things very atmospheric and i think that's what i like most of all is, is creating a cool atmosphere and that can be any genre really even comedy uh or just general kind of like a mad magazine underground comics kind of thing too anything any kind of like cool weird story that you probably wouldn't have seen before some sort of crazy idea that you wouldn't think could work and then ends up working like those kind of stories those your kind art of is very atmospheric like i've no like your your panels are always just like lush and full like but like never too busy but it's just like you your attention to details like very impressive especially even on like in Frank, like when, when there's a lot of like open fields, but I mean like the the farm architecture and the the animals and even like inside the farmhouse, like the little things that are on the shelf and the dirty dishes and uh, just like the little details and stuff you put in. Like you're you're very good at at like anchoring your audience uh, in the narrative, which is also like got it especially in this in frank at home on the farm it's got to be difficult because it's like how do you anchor anyone uh where as like when we're yeah. not sure what's real and what isn't but you still do that and that's i don't know your arts your art impresses the crap out of me man like i i don't every no, every page you. and 
I wanted to know, like, what what was the hardest thing in Frank? Like, what 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 were you like sweating over? Like, or not necessarily like difficulty or, or like in in like your your line art style, but like that you felt like you had to get like i'm thinking of like you know when he at the the shotgun scene at the end and or like the the fire the when the you know barns on fire and stuff like what was what was the most intense moment for you as an artist uh, i would say it was the architecture actually uh trying to get the farm right because i get, yeah, I get very meticulous and very kind of uh i overthink things like well both <laughs> creators do right but getting the farm right i i wasn't sure how it would look because some farms can be very you know sprawling some could be very small. Um, and I wanted it to feel very British, obviously, <laughs> that kind of small 1920s era kind of farm. Because, you know, uh, think of creepy barns, you think of like uh, American barns. They're very, they have this very particular architecture with like, uh, you know, US barns, especially like Midwest kind of stuff or the big red ones mm-hmm. with the white paints on the side and like the thing on the top. Things in, a, in the UK are more, there's lots of thatched roofs. Um, you know, I pass lots of farm areas like where I live back home in, in, this, in, Oxford, in the Oxfordshire countryside. So there's always some cool stuff there and they're always surrounded by like kind of wild trees and wilderness. So I wanted to get that right. But to design something like the barn, for instance, I wanted that perfect shape and I wasn't sure what to go for because of how I would have to design the rest of the bar of the farm, not just for the barn, to maybe create a cool shadow that goes over parts of the of the um of the house at a certain point or certain points in the story, like it's looming over. But also in terms of the story, where's everything going to have to be because of how the story mm-hmm. flows? Like if Frank leaves the house to do a specific thing, you need to be able to get the the planning right so that everything works. So you know, the continuation basically was like a big problem to, to figure out. But um, I got there in the end. But with the with the barn, it was really it was really fun to design that because you you, you know you design things with a the theme in mind and what the barn sounds like. Everything is a character in a in a comic book, right? Like the characters are obviously characters, but then obviously you know the the way that the panels uh, are created, the way that you design like the buildings are designed, just they build with characters in mind. Everything helps with the story. So with the barn, I went with this kind of like cool like hunting spider shape. They've got like all those eyes and they've this big brown kind of like looming shape. So or was it a, a hunting spider or a jumping spider? Um, it was some kind of like cool spider design that I saw as a kid once and I googled it again and I was like yeah that's the one I want and it's got this kind of like triangular shape and it's like small kind of uh, Jordan wanted these eyes this kind of like this, this kind of like eye thing at the top of the of the barn and you see that mm-hmm. on the first page so it's where you place that and then where you place everything else and how the wood looks how much wood how much like panels of wood on the side and what shape to do everything else and it all comes down to what the story needs so that's that's kind of like the nice kind of helping and with designing everything around that and the sorry and the farm itself sorry the farmhouse as well itself again you have to design the inside because stuff happens in the landing stuff happens in the kitchen we've got some like winding corridors around uh so it's like you got to plan all that out first. And we got some cool sketches where I do like some top-down kind of blueprinty sketches of just how, how things work out that way. And then, of course, that's a character. So that grows over time in, well, it's a character, right? It grows over time in terms of reflecting Frank as a character. So that all comes into mind too. You, you just basically plan everything way in advance and then you put everything as it, as and it then comes. You, and then you it's burn really it all down in the end. <laughs> all that all that work up in flames. <laughs> It's like being a, one of those like Toho movie, um, you know, when they build, they, they have to build all the skyscrapers and everything, all the cities and do all the detail just so Godzilla <laughs> can destroy it. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's um I kind of noticed that the 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 farm the eyes of the farmhouse it reminded me of uh, Amityville. The Amityville house like cuz it it looks like it has a face oh, yeah. too and it's and and that's like ingrained into like horror fans now. Those like those eye-like windows uh and and the horrors within and and uh it, out of that farmhouse kind of it's it's very menacing. It's very I I respect spiders. I I love what they do for the world and uh they scare the shit out of me like if one came if one like came down on a thread like while we were on zoom you would you would hear this grown man scream um <laughs> but yeah i mean i i that's so cool that that you guys uh thought thought of the house as a character again like as a as a reader of comic books even a reviewer like these are things that are so intriguing to me and i think my audience likes learning about it too because more and more people keep listening to me talk and i'm just i'm not that interesting so it's got to be more for you guys and but just like i i I don't know. Like I, I, it's wildly impressive to me. And I hear some people, um, I interviewed some creatives, uh, for, uh, scouts by the horns. I had talked to them and they, they talked about their first comic. And, uh, in, in the end, like the, the, one of the characters has like this really, it's a beautiful like gown and it's cool. But the artist was like, I wish I never would have drawn that goddamn thing. <laughs> Cause he had to draw it like again and again and again. And you have to like, you know, mimic that from panel to panel at different angles. And it, you know, and, and 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 you like as a reader you forget about that stuff sometimes of how of the the challenges that it is to like to show these different scenes from different angles and and keep keep the architecture you know flowing and uh, you know imagine like oh this is what the barn looks like at this angle but now we're at this angle now we're inside of it you know now you know now we're at a different level inside of it so it's i mean i yeah. i very much appreciate the hard work and that you guys put into like making these stories real, you know, like, uh, putting us there, grounding us in these narratives, um, you know, making us sad when we turn the last page, uh, and, and see like the, the, the ash, the piles of ash, the smoldering, the smoke coming up. And it's just like, man, I, I haven't felt like that in a while where like I read the last page of a comic and I was just like, oh, and Frank made me feel like that. So kudos to both of you guys for just being creative badasses. (laughs) And then, uh, so, uh, I know it's, um, uh, I, 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 I would love to talk to you guys all day, but, um, I, I, I just do that stupid day job thing. So I just want to, uh, uh, give a quick wrap up. Uh, and first of all, thank you both for coming on the show. Um, Everybody needs to go check Where's out that? Frank at home on the farm. You need that hardcover in your life. I sure do. Um, the variant is gorgeous. I'm, I've been, I was so excited when you guys like dropped the, 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 the first art. Cause it's like when you on the, you know, when the, deal went live you didn't show it at first and just you know i was like every day i was like looking at because i get like a million kickstarter emails a day so every day i was like is it here is it here is it here um and then the the motion comic is so cool like i'm gonna i'm gonna keep reminding my audience that they need to check it out uh clark you're you're a, a multi kickstarter uh haver right now like you've got uh you've got frank yeah. and killtopia going on yeah, they're both still going on. Yeah, still still going strong. So, do you yeah, just, are you out. like are are you guys like the the constant refreshers? Like, are you like opening like checking the emails and like refreshing the pages, like looking at the numbers all day, or do you kind of separate yourself from it? It's tempting, isn't it? I try and I try not to though. 
I think that's a rider thing. I definitely, I think that's probably like Clark's like, Clark's got to draw stuff. He's really busy. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of needs to focus on, on those mad pages that he draws. But yeah, I definitely think that the, the writers probably get caught in that um, constant refresh loop. have to kind of just turn stuff off and make a conscious decision to, to get away yeah, from it. Yeah, because I mean, I look at, I try not to look at my podcast numbers and stuff. Um, but like, I mean, I definitely like when I put out a new episode, I'm like, a couple times throughout the day, I'm like, I'm like, oh, like it's been three hours. Only two more people downloaded, you know. And I was like, I can't imagine like the the like other levels of like, oh, I put out this whole book or like my my babies on Kickstarter, you know, and like, you, you know, like over thirty days of like, you know, will it fund? Will it not? And then like, I I feel like I wouldn't sleep. I would just be like sipping coffee, like refresh, refresh. I'd be texting like Clark would never work with me again because I'd be like, Clark, did you see? two more people backed (laughs) (laughs) i don't think there's anything sadder than going on to check your kickstarter and seeing that the total has gone down (laughs) because someone's cancelled i think that that there's that's like the deepest sorrow i think um, on it the deepest (laughs) uh, sorrow that's that's so heartbreaking come down someone someone cancelled yeah, that's I. I try really hard not to do that. I've had to, um, what, what, like two times. I've had to. Uh, it was either like uh, I'm gonna overdraw my bank account or I gotta I gotta take a break. Um, and then I felt really bad because I had to. It wasn't like a super high dollar tier, but I bought a sketch and I had to back out. And I was just like, I was like, oh man, you're a dipshit. I was just like, I'm so mad at myself. I was like, I was like, I'm like trying to out here, be out here. Like everybody needs to like go to Kickstarter back stuff and then i was like oh sorry i'm broke like i can't do this <laughs> I, was like, I was like i'm a fraud uh anyway so i try to try, try to make up for that by uh by being a outlet for you guys to because i know it's in the indie scene especially in the kickstarter scene like i mean i i love getting to talk to you guys but i also know that like it, it helps you guys to come out uh you know and talk about your stuff to weirdos like me and so that hopefully the weirdos that follow me will you know go visit your page and 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 help back you and like i said a lot of my audience uh is, is a big fan of both of you guys like when i posted that you guys were going to come on the show like i got some dms people were excited about it uh when i when i've talked about your motion comic um people approached me and and were super excited about it and so yeah i'm i i i wish you guys like the absolute best of luck i i really i the projects you've done without each other are intriguing but like yeah, I mean, are you guys, do you guys got anything in the oven like together, like for the future? Like, I know you probably can't talk about it maybe, but like you guys, you guys got any, anything, any buns in the oven? I don't know if I could probably, uh, if I could get Clark anymore now, you know, he's got a TV series coming <laughs> at Utopia, probably out of my league. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll, he'll come and do like a short for me for old time's sake or something. But, uh, <laughs> no, we, we have talked, we've, we've talked um, about wanting to do another thing again in the future. Uh, I guess my thing like, like Clark's a really great storyteller in his own right. And he mentioned the comic he's doing himself. Uh, and I'd love to work with Clark again. Like I really miss getting all those beautiful pages in all the time, but I'd really love to see Clark kind of get the time to do 
this story that's really great that he's told me about that uh, I know it's hard to fit in around everything else. So that would kind of be my thing just to be like, yeah, maybe I can, I can, I can help him edit a bit or something. So we, we work together or something like that. But yeah, I, I think uh, Clark doing his own comic would be awesome. Uh, yeah, it's all about planning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one that I'm sure that there'll be there'll be something come up. Maybe we can get a get something at a a big publisher where they'll pay both of us to actually <laughs> do it in advance. That'd be cool. That's that's the dream. Awesome. Like, yeah, to, to get paid for doing something you love. Like, wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> I say this as a, I, I, I've, you know, like I've, I, everybody jokes with me that I have like two jobs now. Cause I, I'm like very, I love everything about Blake's buzz and, and I love doing these interviews and, 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 you know, the, the blog posts and stuff, but it, it, it does take time. And then I'm, I've got to be the slowest audio editor in the existence of mankind. <laughs> like it just takes, and I'm trying to like, and I used to go in cause I don't know if you guys notice, I say like about 10 million. I think I've said it about 10 million times th- this episode. Uh, and I used to try and like cut some of those out and, and the ums and stuff. <laughs> and I'm starting to let go of that. I'm like, we don't have to cut all of that out. Uh, you know, you know, we don't have to spend six or seven hours editing an episode. Uh, but I, you know, I am, I am proud of this stuff and I want a polished product to be released. And, uh, but yeah, so my boss, the other day, my boss was like, I told him uh, he was releasing the schedule and I was like, hey, don't put me on this one weekend. We, I have to work a couple Saturdays a month, basically. And I was like, hey, don't put me on this weekend. I got uh, an interview. And then I told him I was like, not like a job interview, but like for the blog. And he was like, oh, dude, he was like, you're too fucking busy to go job searching. <laughs> he was like, I know. he was like, I know, I know you're too busy to look. And I was like, oh, man, you're right. But I, I mean, I love it. And I, I appreciate uh, just Every, everything I, I learn and, and just having these cool talks and like, like I said, man, I, I love Frank at home and I think you are both just crazy talented and, and I was so looking forward to today and, and I'm really excited to put this out and, and have my readers uh, check you guys out and I, I hope. I hope in my heart that maybe it gets you a, a, an extra backer or two. You got one out of me at least. So, you know, there's one. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. It's been great. It's been um, a real pleasure to come on and thank you for, for yeah. having us. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm there. Like, uh, you are two creatives that I will keep an eye on. I will always, I will be there for your Kickstarters. Um, even if I'm like in a refrigerator box on the side of the road, I will figure out a way. <laughs> it, we may, if it gets there, we may have to do digital, but you know, I'll, I'll still, I'll still be, I'll still be on your backer list. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Guys again, uh, real quick, um, where, where's the best place to find you at? Uh, Jordan, where, uh, Twitter, Insta. Uh, yeah, Twitter's Jordan underscore J underscore Thomas. Uh, Instagram, I'm ampersand1988. And I think you can just follow me on Kickstarter. If you find like you find Frank at home on the farm on there at the moment, you can kind of click on me and follow me. So that way you'll get notified whenever we have new projects going up. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, we've got the Kickstarter for the hardback going at the moment, which you've sold very well for us, Blake. Uh, it's got the, you get the movie, you get a beautiful hardback oversized version for the Clark's amazing art, loads of Clark's design work and sketches and some kind of scans of the, the original the original inked covers. So you can kind of see all the, everything from like the wide out and everything all in there. Uh, the Glenn Fabry variant cover. 
And also for, for people in America, I know it can be a bit expensive, like getting stuff shipped over. There is also the soft cover collection by Scout, which you can buy through the Kickstarter campaign as well. There's a link for that on the main campaign page. So yeah, that's kind of all the stuff at the moment that's going and Clark, on. Clark, where, where can we, where's the best place for us to gawk at your gorgeous artwork, sir? Uh, I'd say Instagram, but if you go to my Twitter at Clark Bent Art, I have Linktree on my on my bio. We'll link there to everything else. Got my Instagram. Uh, I've got my shops. I've got some original art for sale on um, on Etsy and Buy Small Press and uh, all these sites. Uh, where else? Oh, on Facebook too. At Clark, it's all at Clark Bent Art. So yeah, check out my Twitter. First. All right, we got, guys, you heard it. Give these gentlemen a follow. They're both great dudes. They're both super talented. Great storytellers. Uh, keep an eye on their kickstarters. Guys, again, this was so cool. Like, thank you so much. Uh, I wish, I wish getting up early was this awesome every day, but it's not. <laughs> but this was a this was a badass Tuesday. Like, thank you so much for. I, again, like uh, my my pleasure. Like, ah, uh, so cool getting to talk to you guys and talking about Frank and getting to learn some of the uh, the 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 meaning behind the madness of it all. I guess you could say. Um, I wish you both seriously the best of luck in, in all your future projects. I'm definitely going to be there to keep an eye on them, and I hope you both have a very awesome day. Cool. Thanks, man. It's been great. Fun. Appreciate it. Cheers. Have a good one, guys. Yeah,